everyone, and welcome to the Any Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. We have come back. It's been a little while. <laughs> it's been pretty hectic on our end. Yeah, uh, we were going to record like earlier in the weekend, but our AC went out and it's already <laughs> hot enough in this booth. Yeah. That uh, we might have literally died if we tried. Maybe. Yeah. So, but here we are. Happy Labor Day. And uh, we're back for another episode. Yay. Previously, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll. And the show that appeared is called Magical Circle Guru Guru. This began as a 16-volume manga published by Square Enix from 1992 to 2003. And there was also a 45-episode anime series by Nippon Animation in 1994. And there were some games for the SNES and the Game Boy Color as well. Uh, Additionally, there was a a later series uh, produced in 2000 that was 38 episodes, and it covered like the later half of the manga series. And then they started another manga series in 2012 that is still going on today. Finally, they did the 24-episode anime series made by Production IG in 2017, which is the one that we watched. Uh, And this one is notable because it's the first in the franchise to receive an actual English release. Since 1992, this manga has printed over 14 million copies in Japan. We watched the first four episodes. Kayla, would you like to uh, share the plot with us? A great evil has made its appearance in the world, and Nikkei, against his will, is chosen as the hero to save everyone. He is joined by Kukuri, the only mage left in her tribe, in a quest to take on the Demon King. Their journey is full of new friends, magic, and monsters. I guess uh, to start our discussion, kind of the most notable thing about this show is that it's sort of a parody of early classic RPGs from the NES era, uh, most, most notably like Dragon Quest. This is great for me because these are the games that I played. Specifically, I have played a lot of Square Enix games, also including like Chrono Trigger and uh, a lot of Kingdom Hearts over the years. So this is something that felt very familiar very quickly. Yeah, it's interesting because this series, uh, both the manga and the later anime versions would have come out like pretty shortly after the NES era, right, as you're going into the kind of Chrono Trigger SNES sort of vibe. So while a lot of it is based on like early 8-bit kind of Dragon Quest stuff, uh, it's definitely still in the era of the later 16-bit stuff as well. Oh yeah, you can definitely see the influence that that whole era is playing in this series. We'll probably talk a lot about that stuff in the production part of things. Uh, but even when we rolled the show, we noted, hey, these kind of look like Dragon Ball characters. I think specifically we said like Toei animation characters. But really, they would be like Akira Toriyama kind of characters. Very much like Dragon Ball, Chrono Trigger, Dragon Quest looking kind of characters. They don't quite have the intensity that a lot of those characters have, but... When you see more like Dragon Ball as opposed to Dragon Ball Z, it definitely has that vibe to it. So let's get into uh, our characters and stories, characters and story discussions, uh, starting with our main character, Nikkei. Uh, When the show starts, he is 13. 
often uh, they just refer to him as Hero or the Hero uh, because of that's kind of like his RPG class that he's filling uh, when he starts the show. He pretty much acts exactly how I would think a real 13-year-old would act being thrown into the situation. He's not exactly the hero of justice type that we see in a lot of anime. Is He's actually pretty freaked out by a lot of this. He didn't actually want to be a hero at all as his parents pressured him into it because his dad wanted to be a hero, but there was no... There was no great evil to fight during his time. Yeah, and and it's an interesting character because he is kind of moderately skilled as a swordsman. He has been trained pretty much his whole life to do that, but I I guess his father was kind of his main teacher, and it's kind of questionable of if his father was actually, like, even remotely capable. So while he does show promise as this adventurer kind of type... He is still a 13-year-old kid in that he's extremely unmotivated, very lazy. (laughs) And so when he actually gets out into the real world and starts questing, he quickly learns that he's got to train up a lot uh, if he wants to do this job. Yeah, if we were to go into the like RPG archetypes that they have, I don't know if he would necessarily fit into the fighter class. Um, I don't. I don't know exactly what class I would put him as, but it would be interesting to see if they address that at all. Our uh, kind of other main character that we meet pretty early on in the show is Kukuri. Uh, She's just a a little bit younger than Nikkei, but like you mentioned in the synopsis, she is kind of the last of her tribe, which makes her the only remaining practitioner of guru-guru magic which is one of the three different types of magic that is um, available in this world. Uh, And as far as we know, only her people are able to practice that variety of magic. It's a dark kind of magic. It's not not like a white magic. She would definitely be considered like a black mage in this realm, which is great because she is just a little cupcake. Like she is just the cutest little thing. And she's really sweet, and she has this dark summoning power, and she she summons these sometimes very terrifying monsters to fight on her behalf. Yeah, usually accidentally. She really only <laughs> knows one actual spell, um, and if she draws her magic circle incorrectly is when she kind of summons those monsters. Uh, but yeah, even the spells she does know are like damage-dealing, fire kinds of attacks. And she later learns this one spell that summons like a big mountain with a mouth that that, uh, defends her. Yeah. I love that they gave the female lead magic that wasn't inherently a support class magic, that she is powerful in her own right and she's not just there to heal and take care of the main hero. Now, despite the the kind of seemingly dark nature of this kind of magic, uh, it is notable because it's the type of magic that originally sealed away the Demon King like 200 years ago, 300 years ago. And so her as the final practitioner of this kind of magic, and then 
being kind of shoved into this quest to go defeat the Demon King now that he has reappeared, and her being, like, trained for this her whole life. She was, like, sequestered and hidden away um, so that she wouldn't be bothered or, like, captured or anything while she was learning this magic. And the person who has trained her is this, like, kind of typical <laughs> old lady witch character. Who's not super friendly to her. No, they have they have a fun relationship, though. They kind of get into tiffs all the time. And, and you can tell that the witch lady is, like, not evil. She's definitely hidden Kukuri away because it would be extremely dangerous to reveal her at the wrong time. Uh, but also, like, this kid has had no social life or anything uh, for the first 12 years that she's been around. Yeah, and part of what they're starting to explore is her figuring out her magic and if it's really a good thing. Like, I love that she's asking these questions and kind of afraid of the power that she possesses and is like, I don't actually know if I should be doing this. I don't know if this is a good thing. Is my magic is destructive. Like, maybe I shouldn't be wielding it. And I love that they're asking those questions and they're not just having her accept it and unleash a whole lot of destruction upon the world in the name of good or something like that. Right, right. It's also interesting because so little is known about this form of magic that even the old lady who has raised her basically knows nothing about it. They have like one book that basically has a sentence in it that says, you just have to know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Or like, it comes from your heart or something. It's totally unhelpful. <laughs> so she basically just tries to figure it all out on her own. And throughout the show, I think we're going to see her discovering different magical circles that will produce different spells. But right now she knows two, basically. Yes. It is interesting to me to see how she's discovering her magic because I think a lot of times what we see in a lot of RPGs or things like that is either you learn your magic through battle experience and you just kind of level up or you have to learn by reading old books or something like that. And she learns a lot from interacting with other people. Yeah, and the exploration itself seems to be revealing things to her. If you didn't know any better from the discussion we've had so far, you might think that this was like a pretty serious anime, and it's super not. Uh, this is 100% a comedy with like the trappings of an action RPG sort of thing. But like specifically the one spell that we do see her learn in the first few episodes, there is this old guy who keeps showing up. Uh, they met him in the first village that they went to on their quest. And he was like the mayor of that town. And they cleared out some uh, monsters that were, were disrupting the town. And so this guy, the mayor, keeps following them around, trying to help them out. And the main way that he does that is this, like, traditional dance that his town is known for. That he has taken up the mantle of doing. And everyone's kind of disgusted by it whenever he does. But at some point, our characters discover that the way that his butt moves when he is doing the dance forms a magical circle that she can copy 
and it produces this summoning spell that she learns. Yep. Uh, this guy actually reminds me a lot of Master Roshi from Dragon Ball. Uh, the way that he's designed, kind of his interaction with the kids. The only difference I would say is that he actually is not a lecher. Uh, he takes on the mantle of doing the dance because there's not really any females around. So that's that's part of why it's gross is because this was intended to be a female dance and he and he's doing it. Yeah, with relatively little clothing like basically (laughs) just like a hula skirt skirt. yeah um i mean this show is definitely like less pervy than that but he does have a similar vibe to that sort of character uh throughout the the four episodes that we've seen we meet just a ton of characters we have kind of caught glimpses of different characters that we can tell are going to be relevant but sometimes we hardly even have a name uh, the show reveals people's names by, like, showing a title card on screen uh, with their character stats from a game kind of perspective. And some of those, like, are even kind of redacted because we're not supposed to really know about that character yet. Mm-hmm. So despite the, like, dozens of characters that we've met so far, very few of them have, like, a long-standing place in this show. Yeah, especially in the first four episodes. It's It's sort of like any game that you play is you get to know the NPCs that you interact with on multiple occasions, but the ones that you go into that one town once aren't usually super memorable. So I guess just to kind of summarize the first four episodes, essentially they're just going through like basic fetch quests or training sorts of things. And so you're not getting a whole lot of the overarching story of you know, building their rivals or defeating the big boss that we can see coming. It's more just like steps along the way to meeting the Demon King eventually. Yeah, we've essentially gone through like a dungeon and a dungeon boss, but we haven't really started to tap into what's going on here. A few things that I I thought were kind of worth noting Um, I think they Americanized some of the names in this show because uh, the town that Nikkei comes from is called Boring Village, and (laughs) I'm fairly certain they're just saying, like, it's a boring, plain old village where, you know, your typical hero character kind of comes from. Apparently, I, I looked this up, apparently the Japanese name for the town is like plain old village. Right. So it makes sense that the American name is Bowring Village. Yeah, and likewise the the castle where the king lives is ancient castle, kind of spelled like <laughs> A I N S H E N T. Mm-hmm. Uh so they they do little gags like that pretty frequently. Uh at the very beginning of the show when Nikkei is kind of forced to go on this quest, his parents are really fun characters. They kind of set the pace for the show right off the bat because everything is very fast moving. Yes. And they're very energetic and they literally slingshot him out of the house (laughs) into the next village over, uh, which is why he crashes through a window and happens upon Kukuri. Yep. 
And uh, that's when the the witch is like, you were the promised one (laughs) who was supposed to lead Kukuri on this quest. Mm -hmm. And from there, they just go to different towns and they... They help, you know, overcome monsters and, uh, like, they save a fairy who is trapped by a monster. There's some dungeon crawling. There's mm-hmm. some boss fights. And that's that's about it story-wise. They've kind of made some local friends, but nobody who uh, we, we have any, like, real relationship with. Yeah. I think that about wraps us up for characters and story so we're gonna take a quick break before we talk more about production Welcome back to the show. Kayla, would you like to start off our discussion on animation quality, character designs, art style, music, and such? Yeah, so we started talking about the character designs and how there's sort of this Dragon Ball, Dragon's Quest, Chrono Trigger sort of vibe to these characters. I would say if you first look at the show... It looks kind of infantile versions of those. Um, There's definitely that same sort of RPG vibe, but the characters look really young. Like, even just saying that they're 13, they look more like they're 7. But I think the character designs themselves are really fun and simplistic. They're very easy to tell apart, and they stand out, and they're just very pleasant to look at, even though I think especially Kukuri is very simplistic. She has this sort of red hair that's down in two braids, and she wears this all-black dress. And that's pretty much it. She has a a staff wand thing that she carries around, and that's her whole design. But her animation when it comes to, like, how she looks and the way that her face is animated is so well done— that I think it's it works for the show that the characters themselves aren't super detailed because they're able to pay more attention to the overall quality of the show. Yeah, with, with Akira Toriyama having so much presence in this sort of RPG between Chrono Trigger and Dragon Quest, it's obvious that they were going for that sort of vibe, but uh, they they maintain that kind of Toriyama look without directly copying it because kind of all Akira Toriyama characters pretty much look the same and he has one kind of facial structure and one kind of like set of expressions that the characters are capable of and like you said these characters look younger and they look cute in a way that I don't often think of with Toriyama characters. It always makes me think of how different Krillin looked than all the rest of the Dragon Ball characters because he was shorter and and he always looked much younger than he was and he looked less intense than everybody else. Like if you look at some of the Dragon Quest stuff of like little cute slimes and those characters are kind of shorter and a little rounder than 
like a Dragon Ball character, but they still don't have the kind of modernized cuteness and that, that kind of specific level of detail that you see in a lot of modern character designs. Even if you go back and look at the older designs for these characters, they still share a lot of the same vibe that they do with the 2017 version. Yeah, definitely. I think something that is really key about this show is what's going on in the backgrounds. Um, This show really loves to play with the material source that it's pulling from. So there are a lot of instances where we're actually seeing essentially game graphics in the anime. Um, I think specifically anytime we see a, a travel sort of thing is we're actually taken out of the sort of micro world and we're taken to an overworld map, which is something you see a lot in a lot of RPGs. Um, And the characters are shifted to look like that 8, 16-bit kind of characters that you would see in those games at that time. Yeah, and those those kind of specific travel sequences are like fully 8-bit. But another thing that they do is during the tr- the regular animation of the show where we're just seeing the action play out, sometimes to uh, increase a dramatic effect, they'll, they'll do this kind of pixelated effect where the characters don't look like 8-bit characters, but you start to see the edges. You see uh, more aliasing and like less smooth kind of features of the characters. And... They do this almost exclusively on really close-up shots. So it's almost saying like, hey, this is all a video game, but you're seeing it smoothed out because you're so far away. When you zoom in, you start to see those details disappear and you see more of the rough edges. Yeah, and and this was just really fun to experience because of that. Because if if you grew up playing video games... There's something to be said about this era and then growing up through that and watching game graphics change so much is because when you go back and play some of those older games, sometimes, at least I know I experience, I look back and I think, I don't remember everything looking that blocky. Like everything was so much smoother in my memory and it kind of felt like that. It felt like like you forget for a second that this is you know, supposed to feel like a video game, but I was so immersed in it. I was thinking like, oh, it's more like real life. And that's kind of that idea that it's playing with in your head is saying like, oh, because you're so involved is you're seeing it as, you know, as less blocky than how the graphics would actually be. That kind of attention to detail specifically with the effects is kind of the most top-notch part of the show. Uh, they they pay really close attention to to things like uh, stylized clouds and smoke and blur effects uh, when there's action happening and like the effects that magic creates uh, are all really unique and cute and really interesting. I'm just thinking like in terms of the last time we saw this anime was in 2010, so. It had been seven years since there had been any form of this property, and they chose to hand off the reins to Production IG, which we've talked about before, and I think they did just a really good job with the animation on this. Yeah, they were really able to keep the feel of the show 
and give it that sort of polished finish that that they're really good about doing. They're also just really good at visual gags without things being cheesy or like it, it would be so easy to make the retro video game thing just feel tired, especially today. Mm-hmm. Uh, like with the rise of Isekai as a, a form of anime, like that's all anime seems to be <laughs> now is things based on video games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, trying to go for the nostalgia thing. Mm-hmm. And they could have really just cheapened that, and it doesn't feel like they did. No, and, and all those little details that they put in, I think that it really showed that they that they loved these games, and that's why they're able to kind of play with them, instead of, we're trying to grab some sort of nostalgia that you're going to feel, but we're kind of separate from, is you can really tell that the people that made this series cared just as much about those games as, you know, as someone like me. I think one of my favorite scenes in terms of the the animation stuff is a scene early on where where Nikkei and Kukuri are going to the castle and they show up at the castle to try to embark on the quest to go take on the Demon King. And when they walk in the doors of the castle, they realize that every adventurer in the entire world is there to try to be the one (laughs) to take this quest. Yeah. And all of the other adventurers in the scene look completely different than the rest (laughs) of the world. They are stoic, kind of grizzled, heavily armored characters. Uh, they're, They're way more detailed than everything else. They're... There's a lot of like harsh lines and in deep shadows and much less of the like flat pastel-y kind of character that we see through the rest of the show. And they're trying to show, obviously, like these 13-year-old kids are not cut out for <laughs> taking on the Demon King. Yeah. And they're way too innocent for, you know, what they're trying to embark on. But these characters are like created as these kind of 2D overlays on top of the scene. And they're basically not animated at all. <laughs> they kind of just move as a single unit in the entire crowd. Yeah. And instead of, like, moving the individual characters within that 2D sprite, they will kind of just, like, bend the whole thing or stretch it out to show that the thing is moving. <laughs> so you'll see them kind of wiggling in the background and stretching in, in weird directions. It's almost like they're the background themselves. Right. Uh, and... Like, if the the whole crowd is supposed to turn around to look at the king or something, there's just, like, one frame of the whole crowd (laughs) spinning around, and then it kind of stretches a little and jiggles. Yeah. Um, It was just such a fun scene, and painting such a good picture of uh, what these kids are like versus the monsters they're about to face and stuff like that, and the kind of powers that they're dealing with, uh, but really, really kind of pressing into this kind of humor that the show is good at doing. Yeah. Another part of the production that I wanted to talk about was the music that's in the show. I felt like the music did a really good job of, again, playing on the kind of music that you would hear in in games from this era. They're not quite as chiptune, I think, as a lot of the games from that era are, but... 
the kind of music that you're hearing is very reminiscent of a lot of um, role-playing games. And I think they did a good job of having this kind of feel, not only in the animation, but carrying over into the music as well, without directly copying something and just slapping on, you know, some sort of bad nostalgia. Yeah, it's it's another instance where they could have taken the really simple pandering sort of route and just done chiptunes. But that would have done such a bad job of establishing what this show is doing because it would have it would have broken all that stuff we just praised the show for because it just laid into the thing that you you remember instead of the thing that you want to evoke from the show. Um, I've, I've heard some good discussions about nostalgia when it comes to video games, especially, uh, is that people who typically want the old thing don't actually want that thing. Uh, what they want is something that evokes the feeling that they had when they first played that thing. Uh, which is why, you know, WoW Classic just launched. <laughs> and maybe people are starting to realize, oh, it actually, it got much better and it was pretty <laughs> bad. And we don't actually want to do this thing. Maybe you are. I, I didn't play WoW. So, um, but then you've got something like, just to go real specific on video games, Doom 2016. People were really worried that that game was going to be just this like, weird thing that nobody really wanted because it wasn't going to do a good job of feeling like the original Doom. But it ended up being one of the most highly praised games of the decade because it did a perfect job of evoking the same kind of feeling you would have from the original game back in like the early 90s. Um, and this show kind of does the same thing. And the music does a really good job of setting that tone without just trying to recreate a modern version of the same thing you would have heard in those games. This was probably what I really enjoyed about this show, is these were the games that I grew up playing. I was very much a RPG kid. Um, I played, you know, the Zeldas, I played a lot of Chrono Trigger, and and... That that was my wheelhouse of video games. And and to your point of saying, I don't actually want those games, but I want that feeling of the games. And I think that's something that we're struggling a lot with right now is we're seeing a lot of rehashing of the same things, but, you know, maybe reskinned or something like that. And that's not really what I'm looking for. And I think the show understood that in a way that a lot of media right now just doesn't. And I appreciated, I appreciated this show for it, is that it allowed me to experience how I felt when I was playing those games without remaking Zelda or without remaking Chrono Trigger. And there can be a place for that. Like, you were talking about Doom, and in that moment I was thinking about the fact that they they reskinned Spyro, and they had the exact same game, they just updated the graphics. And there was something kind of nice about that, because I got to play the games again 
but you know in the on a on a more advanced platform but it didn't do anything new for me it was just saying ah oh, now i get to play the exact same thing that i played when i was a kid and this felt different from that and i appreciated that a lot that it wasn't trying to remake dragon quest and just present me a dragon quest thing it is still its own thing that i can appreciate but it has this new freshness to it that while I can appreciate that it did actually come out in the 90s during this time, so it, it is, in a sense, kind of reskinning itself, is at that time it understood so well what was going on in that era, and it was able to really play with it, and the people who have redone it now have been able to keep that same sort of feeling alive. And that's what I really appreciate is that they didn't they didn't try to change what it was to match the modern sort of feel that's going on right now with trying to grab people's nostalgia. And kind of along those same lines, another thing that this show does well is that it actually understands what parody is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this show could easily be like, nudging you uh, with its elbow going like, huh, remember slimes? Remember how much you like slimes? And that could be the whole show is just pointing back to other things that have already happened that you remember from, you know, 10 years ago. Um, this show really kind of establishes its own thing. It's got its own universe and its own lore. And all of that is actually fairly interesting on its own. Plus, on top of that, they've kind of built this comedy around tropes of those genres and different elements that you would see in those genres without directly calling back to them. And I've talked about that before. I really appreciate that um, because I think it's much more intelligent humor uh, to do that than to just, you know, reference something else that makes you feel a certain way. And if I had anything negative to say about this show it's mostly that like the kind of intended age of this show is a little bit hazy but probably for like relatively the same age as the characters so there is some like bad toilet humor <laughs> in this show and it's kind of on that like teetering between being real inappropriate for kids versus being kind of totally innocent kind of like dragon ball original yeah. dragon ball and so some of that stuff is a little, uh, I'm not real into this. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's pretty rare that those things come up and they don't really detract too much from the rest of the, the laughs that I'm getting out of the show. I, I also mentioned before the, the pace of this show is very fast. Sometimes I wish it would chill a little <laughs> bit. You want that tutorial stage. Yeah, maybe that would be it. <laughs> I think based on the, the intelligence of the humor that we've seen so far and the intentionality of the kinds of things that they're doing in the show, I think it would be nice to see them intentionally slow down for a while just to see what they can do with that space. Uh, I would be really interested to see an episode like that uh, or even a stretch of time during certain episodes uh, where, you know, it could take a backseat on the jokes and just try to do something, like, really cool with the characters because I think it has a foundation for doing something like that. So, Colin, would you watch more of this show? 
Uh, based on what we've talked about so far and the amount of the show that we've seen, I'm appreciating what they're doing, and the animation is really cool. So uh, I think, yes, I would I would be interested to see more of this. Yeah, I would say the same, that I, I love what you said about it actually gives the feel of those games, but it's its own interesting world. And that, for me, is what brought me in, is I do care about these characters. I care about their quest. I care about what's happening to them. And I want to keep watching more. Also, you said something about games, so now I'm going to like go and find these games. Yeah, I could hardly find anything about those, and I know for a fact they don't have English versions. That's okay, I'll survive. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, this seems like uh, while we're trying to burn through Twin Peaks, it might be a good palate cleanser on occasion. Yeah. Yeah. When things get too weird, we just <laughs> laugh for a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that about does it for this week. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at anamonday.moe. That's anamonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcast at anamonday.moe. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Our username is anamondaycast, and you can find links for that on our website. Also, if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, you should check out our website and our social media stuff to see our brand new anime characters that we did. Yeah, they're really cute. Uh, We recently commissioned some portraits of ourselves from an artist named Ryza, who um, did some great work for us, and uh, we we are super cute. Yeah, this was a dream come true for me. I have always wanted to see myself as an anime character. Yeah. Uh, So you can also look forward to some of that coming to uh, the merch store. We're working on some designs with our little anime characters. Yeah. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for all of the anime that you provide and for the random button which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week, we'll have a link to the current title on our website and social media, and you can watch what we're watching. Finally, thanks to C2A for all of the music you provide, which come from the Senpai EPs available on Bandcamp and other streaming services. All right, Colin. Are you ready to roll? Let's do this. Random button in three, two, one. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. What? Our anime for the week is called The Garden of Sinners. Oh, no. Kayla, it looks like anime Twin Peaks. Oh, no. (laughs) The first episode is called Overlooking View Thanatos. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah, it's like paranormal detective stuff. Oh, boy. (laughs) I just can't escape the weird right now. I guess not. Sorry. All right. Also worth noting, uh, it looks like the first episode is very long. Okay. So uh, I'll let you know how many episodes we're planning to watch once I figure that out. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for being here. It was fun coming back. Yeah, we're glad to be back. (laughs) Hope you enjoy your holiday weekend, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye.
cooking quinoa. We're going to start over on the counter and I'll talk you through it. Quinoa is something that I like to have for dinner um, every chance I get. Start with a, a pan and this pan is unbelievable. It's super heavy and lined with copper. It's such a good pan. I'm going to go over now and fill this pan at the sink with some fresh water. I'm going to put in about this much water. That's about, that's about an inch of water, give or take. Fresh, nice fresh water. <laughs> 